hello and welcome to Dit On, the podcast brought to you by the Royal Naval Association. I'm your host, Jenna Brodie, and today's episode is a very special episode and probably something that's close to a lot of people's hearts. Um, we're recording this episode for World Suicide Prevention Day, the 10th of September, which is an awareness day, um, which is held every year on the 10th to provide worldwide commitment and action to prevent suicide. I'm joined today by Norman Holmes, who is the branch director for the Plymouth branch, and Joseph Walcott, who runs the military programme, both from Samaritan. So welcome uh, to the podcast, guys. Nice to be here. Thank yeah, you. lovely to be here. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So every year, Samaritan's campaigns um, with other suicide prevention and mental health groups to raise awareness about how we can support each other. So it's really prevalent that you guys are here today, and it really means a lot to me that you've come along. So before we jump in, do you both just want to give a quick introduction to our listeners about who you are and what you do for um, Samaritan's? So Norm, why don't you go first? Sure, pleasure. My Norman Holmes and I the branch director for, it's actually Plymouth, East Cornwall and Southwest Devon, so we cover quite a large area, although when, of course, we answer phones, we could be answering the phones from anywhere in the UK. I've got a team of 100 and nearly 130 volunteers. Not all of them are able to be volunteering at any one time, but we've got a big team which enables us to keep a duty rotor going close to 24-7. As a branch director, you it's full on, I have to say. It's pretty much a, a, a full-time job. When I'm lucky to be retired now, I think I'm working harder now than I did when I was employed. So we make sure the road is running, make sure business is running, because it is a small business in itself. Mm. And of course, we make sure the fundraising happens and we make sure that our volunteers are trained right at the beginning. And we continue to train volunteers throughout their years and many many years we've recently had a module on how to talk to prisoners because we get lots of phone calls from prisoners and we also have a module recently on how to uh, talk with folk and better understanding of mental health issues particularly prevalent following the last pandemic so the role of a branch director is um it's full on yeah but it's a, a role you can be very proud of it uh, has a lot of job satisfaction with it. Yeah. Just before we get to you, Joe, sorry, a question's just popped into my head, Norm. I know that you're, to be the branch director, you're kind of voted in. What was it, yeah. what was it that, you know, you wanted to do to be the branch director? What was it that appealed to you? Uh, well, <laughs> the way you put it like that, in actual fact, that's not, the reality is that it's a peculiar, that you don't put yourself forward mm. in that, um, the branch, all in this case, it would be 120 plus volunteers, determine who they think would be a good leader for the branch for the coming three year commitment. And it's quite a it's quite a nice, proud thing to know that your colleagues feel that you're good enough to head, head up the team. Um, so uh, you get asked by a regional director, your folk feel they'd like you to lead the team. Are you happy to do it? So. Crikey, uh, how will I explain that to the wife? Um, <laughs> but you do eventually. And you, of course you take it up because yeah. it's a great honour. And then I treat it very much like I did when I was in business, making sure that we're professional, that our environment reflects that we're doing a professional service and that we're looking after our volunteers when they effectively come into work. We don't accept a shabby 
operations room. Mm. We don't, I, I don't accept it. And, and, and the, a silly thing like the front garden that we had was a bit of a jungle and I wanted that tidied up. Um, and you think, well, what's that got to do with the phones? To me, it's got everything because you set out a, your stall as a professionals and professionals are coming into work. And for example, the desks that they sit at, the chairs that they are in for the three hours of their duty, they've got to be comfortable. The headphones they use have got to be good quality headphones. So that kind of setting is all about getting a business right. So those things are quite important to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I can vouch for that, that you are very professional and you run a very tight ship at Plymouth. So thank you. <laughs> Joe, Communication too. I'll talk oh, yeah, about that absolutely. later if need yeah. be. Yeah, we will do. Um, Joe, over to you. Brilliant, thank you. So... Um, Joe Walcott and I, I run the miniature programme at Samaritans, I've done for the last 18 months or so. Um, I came in from an NGO um, in disaster relief, but I, former army officer myself, served eight years, got out uh, 2017. And really the, the kind of role into third sector for me was, um, was something that I've never regretted um, since coming in. You know, it's really fulfilling for me. And really what I do at Samaritans is, is really the main point of contact for anyone outside of the organisation that wants to engage with the military community, whether that be uh, through the Ministry of Defence, who we've got a really close relationship with, um, the Office of Veterans Affairs and others. But really, I'm the main conduit. So, you know, whatever vision we want to um, to set out on, uh, really expand the awareness of, of Samaritans and, you know, the um, the suicide prevention, self-harm prevention work that we do, is to try and really embed that into the military community and those that we work with. So that's really my day-to-day. And it's, you know, it's a mixture of kind of running projects for specific support packages that we might be doing or, you know, just simply being a point of contact for, for questions really or kind of advising on communications and wording around different campaigns um, and, and really trying to, to, to spread the word and dissolve some of the, the pre-existing barriers of perceptions around not only mental health in general, as we all know, but suicide prevention in the military, which can be, it is less of a taboo, but has been a taboo in the past. And actually, we're starting to see a lot of ground being broken in places where it wasn't um, or hadn't been broken in, in the past. So it's been really, really eye-opening, really fulfilling. And, you know, the work of the military, you know, goes hand in hand with, with, with my old career. So, you know, it's been, in that sense, it's been really, really positive for me to be able to reflect on my own service through my work as Samaritans and be able to understand some of the thoughts and feelings that I went through during my career and actually come to terms with some of it and help others then in turn and help with that kind of peer-to-peer support when you ring up a mate or you know talk to someone on the phone it's actually really good to have a really good understanding of what what's going on big picture um and an understanding of you know some of the drivers around you know some of the challenges people face yeah absolutely thanks joe so for those listeners that we have that might not know a lot about the Samaritans. Norm, do you just want to talk about, you know, what do Samaritans do, the values, the services that they offer, okay. kind of big sure. picture? It has a, it, the Samaritans, I think many people understand, a very simple service in that 24-7, if someone's vulnerable or feeling low or has suicidal thoughts or feels disenfranchised with life, they can pick up a phone. It's free and they phone 116-123. And at that point, whenever they ring, whoever picks it up, whatever Samaritan picks it up, at that moment, they are made to feel they're the most important thing that a Samaritan is dealing with. So in essence, uh, much of the Samaritan's reputation was built on that simple phone call any time of the day or night. Samaritans will often be the only organisation, the only conduit 
when people, for example, in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. when their normal social services or their GPs or their uh, the, any other media that they need to get hold of are not available. So we become available. Of course, it's a, in the modern world, we've expanded and now individuals can actually email. We have a, a and we're developing an email hub so people can talk through emails. And we also are developing a web chat service. So that will be in place very soon. But essentially, it's a simple service. An individual is feeling however they're feeling and picks up the phone and rings. And they will get as long as it takes for them to talk through their circumstances or their situation. We won't provide. And when you talk to colleagues outside of Samaritans, they say, well, what if you are dealing with someone who perhaps is a suicide in progress or somebody's feeling particularly suicidal? Do you tell them not to do it, to think of their family? And we say, no, no, no. That's entirely exact opposite of what we do. We simply take the time to listen. It may be the first time in a long time that individual has been really, really listened to. And when I mean listen, I mean listen to. I don't just mean just, okay, but genuinely listen to. And, and then slowly the individuals may determine their own course of action. Often, yeah. I think it's something like the, the, uh, the stats that Central Office did. 70% of callers do feel more hopeful about the future after they've spoken to Samaritans. So if, if in essence, the bottom line is that is what we do. Yeah, yeah. And then just to touch on that. So where you said, you know, we don't tell you what to do. So if somebody wants advice and they're ringing Samaritans, it's kind of the wrong place to go, isn't it? Because we're not there to give advice. When you say it's the wrong place to go, I, I actually, fully enough, still feel I'm comfortable with someone saying to me in, in any set of circumstances, what would you do? Hmm. Because that's a question you often get asked. What would you do? And it, it's quite easy, after certainly with practice and with training, for you to say, well, it's not really about me. What options are you looking at? What do you think the circumstances, how can you change things? Or how are you looking at? And, and people will talk for any length of time. And at the end of it, they'll say, well, thank you for that. And it's they've given themselves the answers. Mm-hmm. We haven't actually answered. They've actually almost talked through a scenario at the end of which they feel better. Because sometimes just talking everything out and getting it, saying it out loud and getting it out in the open, you find yeah. your own solution, don't you? And that's what You're right. the beauty of Samaritans is. Thanks. And Joe, above what Norm said, from a military perspective, what additional support is there for military personnel and, and veterans alike? So really what we try and do from a Samaritan's perspective is focus on, on three key areas. So you've got your serving personnel, veterans and, and family members of. And the way we've the way we've approached this really with certain personnel is to, you know, emphasize that peer to peer support. You know, you're still in an environment in the military where, you know, you might be living in the block or living in the mess or living on the on the patch. And you've got a, you know, a body of people around you that you work with and, you know, that can notice things that might be going away very, very early on and actually having the intervention as early as possible. So as part of the package that we do or have. You know, we've got a peer support guide, which is very small. It's really a really good kind of reference to how to look out and identify signs of um, those that might be suicidal or potentially self-harming um, and then how to escalate that more importantly. 
but you know it it just it just plants a seed that you know keep your eyes and ears open and actually some of the concerns that people have may not be voiced and the vast majority of time they aren't you know so it's really trying to encourage that intuitive nature for people to to pick up on signs subtle signs perhaps um of of their colleagues and mates um so that's the that's the peer support guide and that's mainly for those that are serving because you know obviously once you leave the military you know you hit the, the big bad world and you know those pillars of support and your mates and colleagues aren't necessarily that close you know you might go to your day job and then go home um and that that level of camaraderie doesn't necessarily exist so that peer-to-peer support is a little bit more difficult to achieve with with veterans so we've got a lot of stuff in the um in the pipeline really with with, with projects and and other things and without going into them too much what we want to do is focus on on veterans in particular you know they they represent by a long way the vast majority of contacts to samarans consistently over 70 percent you know every month are, are veterans so you know we get roughly you know around 10,000 calls a year from from people in the military community that's that that's just the military community 10,000 calls of those you know 7,000 plus will be veterans you know consistently so the pivot really for now for us now is really to you know how how best to engage with veterans you know and the couple of things that I mentioned in the pipeline and Norm's already mentioned the online chat service which as part of the organizational rollout of the of the web chat is actually to to have a version a bespoke version for the military community so it's not just available to those in the UK it's available to those overseas for the serving people but also you've got expats and veterans that are abroad as well but perhaps can't ring you know one one and one one six one two three so that's a really good way in, I feel, that, you know, that we can, we can kind of tick that box. But the main one for the veterans at the minute that are working on outside of working with the Office of Veterans Affairs and other organisations like SAFA is the Samaritans Veterans app, you know, which focuses mainly on, it focuses more on those in transition out of the military, so your service leavers now, and then your, your veterans probably until the five-year point, who are still perhaps might not have had the time outside of the military to reflect on what, you know, their experiences you know, however big or small they might have been. But it just, as I said, it's, it's about planting those seeds. And the military is really a reflection on wider society. And that is, you know, people tend to put their emotional health, in particular emotional health, to the wayside for a little bit. You know, people tend to focus on, on the physical things that affect them day to day. So, you know, even if we can just plant the seeds um, for, for that reflection on, on your emotional health and your emotional response management, which is really key to those in the military, is, is, is a good thing and actually you know as part of the military work we do and I mentioned it earlier on you know with the advice and um, and influence we have in the in the ministry of defense is you know a lot of a lot of organizations don't necessarily I wouldn't say don't but you know they're a bit reticent to to talk about suicide and self-harm you know they don't they don't quite know how to get the wording right and then you you, you kind of take that you know reservation and you amplify it for the military and actually breaching that now and breaking ground, new ground, and actually how do we word that? So that's kind of the influence and, and conversations we have around communication with it and raising awareness. But, you know, by far, you know, our, our 24-7 uh, helpline, you know, is by, by far our biggest asset with the military community. But it's about using that now, understanding who causes, and then tailoring different support packages around, you know, the callers and some of the needs and the, the challenges they face and how we, how we capture that at our end. Yeah, absolutely. And just kind of picking up on some of the things that you said there, I mean, the numbers there for people to call email and things like that, all the services, the app, 
What if somebody, and Norm, this is probably a question for you first. If somebody, if you notice somebody's struggling, are there signs that you could look out for with your friends, your family, your oppos and things like that? Because somebody might be suffering in silence and not know where they can get help. I wish it was. I wish I wish there was a clear light when and you go, gosh, that person's depressed or that person's suicidal. I, I it's not as prescriptive because we don't know the depth of what people's minds are going through. We might say an individual is more grumpy than usual, but we just kind of say he's grumpy or we might think of someone's gone a bit quiet and we think, oh, that's probably because work's a bit tough right now. Or we might think a, a, a student is a bit quiet because right now the exams are coming up. But our logic never tends to make us take another step, which will be, I wonder if that person is suicidal. Uh, last year, we had a, a very close to me in a very rural village near where I live a senior consultant in our local hospital in Plymouth. Uh, and on the face of it, an individual who had a satisfying job, well-respected job, um, a wife and a family, and, and therefore an income. And so on the externally to the outside, and, and he played um, a local in a local sports uh, competitions. So he appeared to be fine but uh he took his life and his children and his wife are struggling even now because mm. and it's not unusual where those individuals who are closest keep asking themselves why and continue to beat themselves up because they couldn't spot anything and we have to almost it's unlike it's it's not unusual where an individual then rings us, rings Samaritans, because they've had a partner who've taken their lives and they can say, we didn't spot anything. We never saw anything. He might have been feeling a bit low, but they didn't spot anything. So I'm really sorry in a way, Jenna, that I can't give a prescriptive answer to how do you spot someone who's depressed? You can often... You look at emotional health. Um, I we use the term, and I, I, I was giving a presentation last week, and I I said to this group of people, "Is everyone okay in here?" And everyone was okay. But then I chose to ask the question again. No, I, I mean really okay. Mm. And we we kind of throw that line away. And how many times when you ask a friend or colleague? I was everything. And they go, yeah, fine. Well, fine can also stand up, stand for fed up, insecure, neurotic and emotional. Mm -hmm. So you don't know the depth of, if we go into a pub, everybody looks happy. There will be people there who are struggling, but they're having a beer with their mates and it looks okay. It looks fine. Yeah. But behind okay and behind fine, there's a lot going on. And we hope, that those individuals will choose to phone us so that they can tell us what's not okay and what's not fine. Which is why there's a, quite rightly, a pressure on Samaritan's branches to do what we call, in the same way that Joe's doing with the military, for us to do outreach work. 
again, quite time consuming. We've got to get into schools and universities and local groups, even if it's a, a women's institute or a gardening group and give talks so that all of a sudden people start to ask, are you okay? Mm. No, no, are you okay? That's where our outreach work is as much as, it's not as valuable, but it's a key role that Samaritans have in communities. May I mention, Jenna, the timing of this podcast two weeks ago in Plymouth as mm -hmm. an, an individual chose to uh, take the lives of his mother and four other people. It, um, it hit a community hard. And as Samaritans, we opened our doors in case people wanted to talk face to face. But per se, we're not counsellors, but we offered our number on a handout sheet and we will now have a car sticker with Plymouth Together and our telephone number. And that will you'll see that in a lot of cars going around Plymouth. So we just hope that if someone's trying to process what happened and they themselves are feeling, did that individual who, who chose to commit the, 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 the shootings, had he got, had he phoned Samaritans? We won't know because our service is confidential. Um, we don't know. But we, yeah. we kind of hoped he would have done and he got his angers and his frustrations out. So we've got to keep getting our number out there. Yeah, absolutely. And to a point that you made earlier, Norm, where you said, you know, sorry, there isn't a, you know, there aren't really signs. That's kind you know, that's the, that's the important point because there aren't. So you don't oh. really know if somebody is no. okay unless you, you really ask them. And sometimes they, they might not want to talk to you. They might not want to talk to somebody that they know. And that's yeah. why Samaritans is so vital because there's somebody there at the end of the phone who, who, don't, who doesn't know you and, you know, that's isn't right. going to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely and thanks, right. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that about your um, local community. And I think... I can probably say, you know, for a lot of people I know, probably the same for, for you guys, suicide in one way, shape or form has probably touched or been involved with everybody's lives. Um, I think I read something the other day that suicide is actually the biggest killer for men under 50, um, which is frightening. And I mean, Joe, I know that you have a similar experience, if you don't mind sharing. Yeah, of course. You know, there's a lot to echo from what Norm said. And, you know, we do a lot of workplace training um, with the army in particular. So we've tailored to um, Samaritans listening courses that we deliver to, to um, certain members of the, of the army. And one of the things the trainers say, um, I'll, get, I'll get onto my story in a sec, but one of the things the trainers say is, you know, it's a very British thing to go and ask, you, you know, how are you doing, you're right, without really expecting an answer of no. You know, so... If you deliberately ask, are you all right, with the intention of wanting to really know exactly what's going on, then you won't necessarily accept, yeah, I'm fine as an answer, mm. you know, especially if you think something's up. I so, think it's probably you know, important. It. Yeah, it's important as well. If you're asking someone, are they okay, are they okay, and you're generally interested, you know, and they say no, you need to be prepared to take that as well, don't you? So, yeah, that's really important. Yeah, and, it's, and you know... I've, I've got scenarios running through my head where, um, you know, I'd greet someone and say, you're right. And, you know, it would never cross my mind to, to, to expect to hear no back. Mm. It's, it's one of those things that if you 
particularly those that are close to you, but even those that aren't, you know, and as you both said, the signs can be so subtle, if at all, but if you, if you ask the question, if you greet someone and you say, you're right, ask again. I think what Norm said there about, you know, almost doubling down because people don't generally um, talk about that kind of stuff. And then add on to that, those that have been in the military where you've, you've had to kind of suppress some of these, these emotional responses and manage them in a different way to not appear incompetent or you want to hit that next promotion board. You know, you just don't discuss it. Mm. Yeah. so that that mentality doesn't necessarily leave a member of the military once they've left so you know, now they're a veteran you know they've got all this kind of legacy baggage with, with regards to how they approach it but the, the story um the story in my life was a good friend of mine you know we went through training together and very similar to norm on the surface you know there wasn't much to talk about um he was always a bubbly guy really funny um which made losing him all all the more painful to be honest and you know, I won't get into the, 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 the gritty details, but the way in which he decided to, to end his life as well. Um, and another close friend of mine who found him, you know, there's one of the unhealthy ways I feel to, to approach a, a person who's expressing suicidal ideation is, is to, or at least after they've done it, is to is to almost put the blame on them and say, you know, think about you know the family and friends that are left behind um in my experience that doesn't help anyone who's feeling suicidal in that moment no um so i think that's a don't get me wrong but there's a time and a place for it absolutely but you know in my experience some you know saying that at the wrong time is very much not needed or wanted by that individual but um yeah this friend of mine um took his own life they i said i won't go into much detail but they're on a shoot weekend so I'll, you know you can kind of see where that one's going um and then was found by another friend of ours and you know as it transpired there were marital problems that individuals don't tend to share you don't share that with your parents or your siblings um so you know you're hardly going to tell uh you know a good friend and perhaps then speaking to a complete stranger and ringing the samaritans um is a way a lot of people get around that you know someone who's completely disconnected from their own life there's no way of it kind of hitting those rumor circles and, and circulating back to you and, and perhaps affecting your job or your, your you know, your personal social relationships. Um, it's to pick up the phone and speak to someone who's completely disconnected from you, but is willing to listen, like Norm said. You know, above all else, it's to it's it's to listen, actively listen. And the amount of people, and I was guilty for this as well before I joined Samaritans, is to really understand active listening and what that involves. And it's so much more than just not talking back. Mm. You know, it's, it's so much more than that. And that's what you get from Samaritans is that real understanding of active listening. And as Norm said, it's not necessarily giving advice, but frequently people don't need advice. They tend to talk themselves into finding solutions themselves. Um, and I just wish that my friend talked, you know, I, I, I hope he talked to somebody, but, you know, with, with the knowledge I have now, um, and, you know, it, it spurred me to talk to friends, especially those that have left the military now that are veterans who don't have that close circle of mates anymore, um, who live, you know, down the corridor from them, is to reach out every now and again. And, you know, it doesn't have to be that often, but you do pick up on things, um, particularly with close mates who you were very close to and then you kind of drifted apart after a little while. You do pick, on stuff, pick up on stuff. And, you know, I would just urge people, if, if you ever get an inkling that, that something's up or something's awry, 
then just drop them a, a text message or give them a ring. It, it's really important that, you know, it doesn't cost anything. And at the worst, they might ignore you. They might change numbers or whatever it might be. But it's worth doing. It really is worth doing. And you don't ever want to be in a situation where you, you know, where you've, you're texting someone who no longer can text back because they're taking their own lives. And you, you kind of hear hear about it through the through the grapevine. Um, it was it was such a shock for me personally. And I know our close group of friends, you know, where you've got messages that have never been read on, on your phone and they never will get read or responded to and they're still there. You know, it's very difficult. So yeah, reach out and talk, reach out and at least spark a conversation. And it's not just close friends, it's people, people on the street, you know, if something's arrived and just just have a chat. Yeah. Just let them know that they're not on their own. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. We just actually painted uh, you general have seen it. We painted a nice mural on a wall in Plymouth. And I'm only reminded of it. Jenna, because you use the words, you are not alone. And we've actually got this written massively large on this wall, you are not alone, followed by the Samaritan's number. And, and the good thing, it's in a modern medium, graffiti, wall paint, you know. I'm not saying I'm down with the kids or anything, but hey, <laughs> my idea. And uh, it, it, But it got smacked all over social media mm. and got some great, great publicity. And so, you know, a page in a local paper with that number on is, is huge it's absolutely massive and it if someone's just that not feeling that special they'll keep they'll tear it out of the paper or they'll register it and we hope they ring so norm following on from some of the things that we've picked that we've picked out about what samaritans do i think it's probably important to highlight you know samaritans values sure and, and you know what it means to be a Samaritan to support the people, the callers that need our help. I, I, I guess as individuals, the, 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 I one of the things I'm most proud of is the actual training that goes into every volunteer. It's uh, I think lots of businesses would be quite surprised at the level of training we go into, and, mm. and 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 how much we do spend and the hours we spend in getting people ready. So essentially. Uh, your core training, you'll have five modules online initially, getting to know the, the route. And then you'll have another five modules in a training, in a face-to-face -face training situation, now that we can meet face-to-face -face again. And then within that context will be, they'll learn about those things such as, and we have something called the star behaviours. And that's, you know, that's about being uh, supported and trusted and in many ways valued as well. And the other element is of R is very much, we learn how to respect our colleagues. It, it's, it's funny, the other day, my sister, who's a district nurse, we were talking and, uh, and she said, you think all nurses are nice, don't you? I said, yeah, of course they are, they're all they're nurses. She said, they're not, because I'm a nurse and I can tell you some of them are just hard work. And she said, I bet it's the same with you, Samaritans. You think they're all nice, kind people. And I said, yeah, they are. She said, they're probably not. And I said, no, we might have a difference of opinion. But when you actually get on the phone, whatever your bias in everyday life might be, you, you do engage with those values. So as an individual, you take on those values of support 
and trust for your colleagues and respect for your colleagues. Um, because at the point in which you're helping a caller, they are the most important person for that point in time. So I'm not sure I've answered that as well as I should have done, Jenna, but essentially it's the environment in which we set up our training and how mm. we respect each other, which then I think magnifies how we respect the individuals who bring us their myriad of scenarios. We are not going to judge at any point any of those scenarios. We are just going to listen and let the individuals talk them through mm. because that's for us not to judge. Yeah, absolutely. And I, th I think it's important for people to know, um, especially potential callers, that the service is non-judgmental. You know, the, um, yeah, totally. the list listening volunteers are there to listen, um, provide that human contact and confidential as well, obviously, to, to an extent. Um, yeah. So it's good. I think it's reassuring to callers that are going through you know anything and they need to talk yeah. to someone to know that you know that that's the elements of the service i've and even been known to treat manchester united supporters with respect as well <laughs> that must have been very big of you <laughs> that was, as a man city fan that's tough on me at times yeah i bet uh, you, you've got a new player though jack Grealish. um happy big, days big happy fan days. big fan of him anyway <laughs> And Joe, I think probably now would be a good time to talk a bit about the um, the Veterans app that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. So the, the Veterans app has been, it's been in development, you know, by the time it kind of rolls out officially, you know, kind of two, almost two years worth of kind of development and research that's gone into it. And then um, it's currently in its pilot phase. We're just coming to the end of the pilot phase for the app. And um, we're hoping to launch it kind of the last last bit of this year. So it should be out by the end of this year. We're hoping kind of October, November time. But we want to get it right before we kind of release it out to the you know, out into the public. Cool. But it's as as you know, as I as I said earlier, it's it's really designed for you know the guys and girls in transition at the minute. So whether you know you've you've done a full career, knowing that you're going to leave, and you're technically in transition, um, or those that have decided to, to leave early, you know, to, to sign off and have, you know, have, have about 12 months before you're, before you're out of the door. And, and as I said, really, it's, it's about planting the seeds of, um, you know, planting those information seeds in there and the signposting and awareness raising around some of the key things that, that crop up during that transition in time as a veteran, as I said before, you know, those pillars of support tend to dissolve away, you know, for some quicker than others, you know, if you don't have any kind of physical or mental um, injury or challenge, as you're leaving that the army is aware of or the navy or the air force is aware of as you're leaving then those those pillars of support tend to dissolve quite quickly you know you're not really a burden on anybody um although you're not a burden at all in terms of you know um being dealt with, with um the kind of welfare apparatus that exists but you know the, the app really and the way we've the way we've designed it to be plugged into the military is is really twofold because you know we've got that overlap between all right, you're in transition, but you're still serving and you're going to be a veteran. And, you know, even if you're, um, again, the word veteran tends to be banded around to, you know, those that are older, you know, that have, they're in the military, you know, decades ago mm. when it's, it's not really the case, you know, as soon as you leave the military, um, officially you're, you're then a veteran. So again, going back to the, the amount of callers we receive at Samaritans, you know, consistently over 70% of veterans, 
is to really capture people as they leave. So they'll go for a final medical with the, with the, with the doctor before they leave. And it's at that point that, you know, they'll be given information predominantly for, for the app. And it's accompanied by a small pocket guide as well. So it will have the QR codes in it that you can scan and download the app as well. But the pocket guide is really a condensed version of the, of the material within the app. So for those that perhaps don't necessarily want myriads of different apps on their phone, they can have the pocket guide. But I think it's a really good way to, to capture people as they leave. And, you know, as we've all kind of alluded to along the way here, that, you know, it's about awareness raising. There's all kinds of different ways you could do that. But actually, if you, you know, the way we would approach this is, you know, if, if we get people as they leave, you know, the veteran community being the more high risk, then that would be the best way to go. So it's integration into what's called the Defence Transition Service in particular and the Defence Medical Services. But also, you know, it's a big collaborative piece. So we've got, you know, informal and formal partnerships with loads of different charities, with Robert's Legion, SAFA, All Call Signs, you know, the list goes on, uh, Ripple Pond. And, you know, we really wanted to make it a collaborative effort and try and draw in as many different signposts as we could, but relevant to emotional health. You know, it's not, if you go in there looking for, a, you know, employment advice, or um, any kind of hard skill stuff is probably the wrong platform for you. You know, this is very specific information and, and bits of guidance and signposting for your transition around emotional health, you know, yeah. and how then do you, do you adapt to your new environment? How do you then manage your emotional responses? You know, it's a very different environment and it can be a big, big culture shock for, for a lot of people. And some of the themes within the app explore things like that so you know that that tackling cultural change a sense of loss and a loss of purpose which which hits us all i'm afraid to say you, you know you can leave with a very good idea of what you want to do when you leave the military but there is always an element you know bigger and smaller and different people it, it, you know every every person's journey is very very different or it can be very different but there's definitely a sense of loss and depending on what you come out and do there's a there's a loss of purpose as well you know if, if you're not quite aligned with the job that you're doing outside of the military and, you know, Norm touched on it. At Samaritans, everyone kind of internalises the, the values that we hold. And the military community would be great volunteers. And we have got some very, very, very good um, ex-military volunteers that, that volunteer at Samaritans who have already spent a lifetime internalising principled values and then being able to talk and help others. They've been doing it even formally, willingly or uh, not willingly, consciously or subconsciously for years, potentially. Yeah. And actually then they're just... They've gone through a period of refinement where they get trained by Samaritans, you know, that active listening, the five modules that Norm mentioned, and it just amplifies their skills that already, already exist. It's just sharpening them, giving them a bit of polish. Great volunteers. And actually, as part of the ministry programme, what we want to do is to set a recruitment campaign for, for volunteers to Samaritans purely from the ministry community. We want to be able to reflect. That's the a great idea, Joe. That's a terrific idea. Yeah, it's, it, I mean, it's, it seems like a no-brainer if you think about it. You know, mm. 10,000 yeah. calls a year, you know, 7,000 yeah. plus calls consistently of veterans. Let's try and make our demographic reflect that a bit better. There's only so much we can do, but where we can make a dent and make an impact, you know, that's, that's where I'd like to put the focus on. And to make eventually a veterans hub, you know, perhaps even a, a bespoke number for yeah. military community members. Yeah, yeah. Very much, very much like our NHS service with a bespoke number. And that particular phone number can be resourced with our volunteers from the military community. And that's long-term ambition of mine, is to really kind of connect the dots internally and have something that really doesn't cost that much money, 
you know, in terms of resources, there are plenty of volunteers, even who haven't been part of the community, uh, the military community, who would love to help and be part of that kind of that kind of military hub that, mm. that I think would, would do really well. And the app really, again, is if, if we thought it was going to be the end product and the be all and end all by the time we release it, we'd be very naive. Um, but what we've done is we've, we've left a lot of avenues open to the users to give us feedback on it. And it's then to use that feedback justification for to make it better. So I would say to those listening, you know, if you ever download the app and have an explore or you, you can't recommend it to somebody else, is you know, once you've got through the material, it is not necessarily just to discard it. It's it's perhaps a point of reference that you can just dip into every now and again if you need to get some information and guidance and signposts. The plan is to update it and to keep it relevant and keep the stories updated as well and uh, some of the signposts and the information that comes out and to really try and expand its integration into you know, the emotional health sphere and the military sphere as well and actually trying to marry the two up there is a big need for it because arguably and that's what we've done in that panopoly guide because you know apps aren't the be all and end all but that emotional side of transition in particular um, particularly those who've done say your early service leavers so what we call early service leavers those that have served four years or less and under the age of 24 tend you know the data suggests that they tend to manifest mental health challenges or potential issues a little bit later in their 20s and you know into their 30s so hopefully it, a really useful resource for your early service leavers in particular but you know anyone that transition out who, who might need you know just a a seed planning or just general information and being able to reach out to organizations that where perhaps the samaritans can't necessarily do anything about you know so your casework and being able to triage people that come into us is to take them or send them into the direction where they're really going to get that support that they need and have a layered support. It's not just about one organisation, it's about layering what's available Mm. and making sure that people who use one service aren't just simply pinged from one to the other. They come into one source, ideally the next place they go is the place they need. You know, you don't want them bouncing on three, four times. So that, that's the hope. And I'd say released before the end of the year, but feedback will, will determine what it looks like in the future. And you get I, that. I feedback. think it's a real positive thing, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Here in Plymouth, being a service city, we have volunteers who are based in Plymouth and are from the services. But I still don't think we've really made a big enough impact by getting into the environments that the lads and the ladies, that, that we don't make a big enough impact on letting them know that they we're a big team here and they can join our team and get a lot of the satisfaction they got when they were part of that big team in the services too. So I, yeah. I think what you're doing is superb, mate. Absolutely top class. Yeah, yeah. it's brilliant, really it just, just I just hope it's fit for purpose. You know, if, if people, if the guys and girls get something out of it, yeah. then that, that's the main thing. And, you know, with, with the military, especially those that are serving, particularly amongst you know, your officer corps, your, your senior non-commissioned officers, they tend to go into certain jobs and have, you know, they'll be tenured. So they will be two, maybe three years, maybe four absolute max, and then they'll be moving on. So you, Norm, at Plymouth might have a really good relationship with a unit welfare officer yeah. who then moves on in two years. If he or she forgets to tell their replacement that, you know, Norm down the road at the Samaritan's Branch is yeah. a top bloke and he's got a great team, yeah. then you've got to start that journey all over again. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you just, you know, you extrapolate that across the whole UK yeah. and that happens all the time. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a requirement here on the military to have a, a system in place. And, it, it, you know, when we're talking a little bit of paperwork as part of a handover takeover. You know, if someone goes and someone comes yeah. in, yeah. you know, there's a reminder there to say, you know, you need to reach out to your Samar- local Samaritan's branch. Uh, director, whatever branch, it might be a Royal British Legion branch or a Safra branch, whatever it might be in the local yeah, area. Yeah, 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 but yeah, 
make contracts. it needs to be incorporated in those people as they turn over through the tenures, yeah. um, which doesn't exist at the minute. But that's what the kind of stuff we're working on. That's awesome, Joe. And and thanks. And I know I had a little look at the pilot, and it's it's really good. So, like you say, if it helps people, I mean, that's amazing. So, thank you. So I know we're nearly we're nearly out of time, um, guys. So given the the subject and the you know the listeners and things that we have, Norm, have you got any advice to the listeners? Um, uh, advice to the listeners. Uh, I, I don't wish to end on a, a down note, but let's perhaps end from my point of view on a piece of reality. Hmm. Today, average. If we continue with averages today. 20 individuals will choose to take their life. That's every day. It's happening every day. It's a tough game out there. And with the pandemic, it seems to have got tougher. I'm not actually, I don't think statistics back up that suicide has increased. But we do know that examples of emotional health and loneliness and desperation have certainly increased. So I guess for me to end, it's just saying, the stats are telling us one thing, but there's a big army of people out there ready to, and I don't want to use that often used word fight, but there's a big army out there of us trying to do our best to uh, put some bandages and help. And we're doing that by listening, really listening. Thanks, Norm. Joe, anything that you want to end on? Yeah, there's there's lots of echoes ever from Norm, but um, I think... The biggest one is just, you know, have a have a sense of a, um, you know, if you're deliberate about wanting to know how someone feels, you know, if you go into that as a deliberate process, I, I mentioned earlier, if you, you know, our our kind of knee jerk is say you're right and not expect a response. Perhaps if you if you adjust the mindset a little bit and just go into it as a deliberate question in which you were expecting a response or you would like a response. Um, that potentially could make all the difference. And actually, a lot of the stuff, it, it's, it's nationwide. Um, it's not just about the military community, but the trying to raise the awareness of this and the consciousness around it and pick up intuitively on, on subtle signs. Because as we've discussed, a lot of the signs are subtle, if, if at all. You know, there really might not be anything out of the ordinary. But you'll never know unless you, you go into, um, you know, an encounter with somebody with, in, in a deliberate way in wanting to know exactly how they're feeling. And you know what? It's, it's a British stiff upper lip. There's a lot of cultural things that we fight against. Um, and as long as you acknowledge that, then you, uh, or at least understand it, that it could be in place, then perhaps it will spur other people on just to ask it again. You know, it's not just one, a one-off question, it's to ask again. But the, 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 peer, the peer-to-peer support and actually just pick up the phone and, um, and talking stuff out. You know, over the last last week with um, the events out in Afghanistan, you know, there's a lot of it's it's been so heartening to see that and to read that veterans in particular, those that served in Afghanistan, are reaching out on the, on those group WhatsApp. That's perhaps something that wouldn't have happened, you know, 15 years ago. Mm. And there is there is an awakening, but you know that peer to peer support is really critical for suicide prevention. Uh, we can plaster posters and and stickers behind toilet doors as much as we want. Um, but actually, you can prevent the whole need for the call into Samaritans, as an example, um, by having conversations amongst it, amongst ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and as Norm said, that there is always someone there to listen, and that's all uh, the volunteers at Samaritans want to do. 
that's that's literally all we want to do is to help and listen to others and regardless of how low or alone you might feel particularly after the pandemic and all that's happened with the isolation and loneliness is um is to know that you can talk to anyone um and particularly you can ring some out you know if you want it to be completely out of your, your circle your personal circle then absolutely just just um just do it and if you perhaps takes you a while to pick up the courage to pick up the phone um then that's fine as well um, you don't necessarily have to pick up the phone and talk uh, there's, there's email there's there's other organizations as well as well as Samaritans but there's email there's other things you can do yeah absolutely um both like really great points to end on I think it really hits home about everything that we've discussed and Joe and you just mentioned the email and I know you mentioned it as well Norm but just to give our listeners the email address it's joe j-o at samaritans.org and as Norm mentioned earlier the number is 116123 guys thank you so much for your time um it's been really great really great to um get your inputs on this so thank you and take care